Thank you, Makita. Thank you. Yeah, so today we're opening up our Advent series. We're going to have um, a series of three messages that are going to actually go beyond Advent. They're going to be our December series because of the snow day. Um, and the title is Until the Son of God Appears. Until the Son of God Appears. So these are our sermons that are going to be speaking in anticipation of Christ's return. The series title is taken from the song, uh, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which references the, morning war- the uh, mournful waiting of the people of Israel. So we too wait in expectation for Jesus Christ to return, and each sermon is going to unpack uh, a different word picture. And uh, today what we're going to be unpacking is the word picture of waiting for the light. What does it mean to live in times that seem dark, but also with the anticipation of light coming? We're going to be preaching out of Romans 13. Um, As I was preparing for this sermon, uh, well, one, I got an extra week, which was super nice. Um, But there was just a a lot of, just I feel like, meat that was in the text. And so I'm just really excited to share with you guys what I just feel God is saying to us from this verse. So the scripture we're going to be diving into is Romans 13. And uh, let's stand and read the word of God. Romans 13, 11 through 14. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality or sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision to the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of the Lord. So, Lord, I just pray um, that as we listen and receive your word today that your spirit would be moving and active lord i pray um lord that it would be your voice speaking to our hearts lord god um lord i just pray that um your spirit would be working within us today um sharing the things that you want to speak to us personally and to us as a community amen so this verse is is setting up really two contrasting worldviews or two contrasting kind of views of how reality works. And, and it's the reality of night and the reality of day. Um, and, and how you orient yourself according to these realities can have an enormous impact on kind of how you start to walk out uh, your own personal life or your own personal actions. And so today, what I'm going to t- attempt to unpack for us all today is kind of what do these two realities look like that Paul is trying to lay before us. And, and one I'll put on one hand is the reality of, or the, the worldview of darkness just getting darker and darker until death. Um, and then contrasting that with the reality of Christ and Christ unto life. So this has been a very, very busy season for uh, my family and I'm sure everyone's family as we head into the holidays. And uh, one of the ways that we like to blow off a little steam is by playing board games. Um, And so a couple weeks ago, we got the pleasure of playing uh, Settlers of Catan with um, a couple good friends. Um, If you have heard of that game, congrats. If you have not heard of that game, um, you guys can judge me and I'll accept the judgment. That's fine. Um, One thing that's really funny about that board game, though, is that... uh, it's unusual because within a few turns, you actually usually know who's going to win and who's going to lose. 
So within three or four turns, you can be like, oh, I think this person's going to be the winner, and I think this person's going to be the loser. And so we were playing a game recently uh, with Chipper and Orlando, and within three or four turns, it was very, very clear that I was going to win. <laughs> and so as it turns out, Winning Rob is a fun person to play with. Winning Rob is sitting up at the top of his seat. Winning Rob is engaged with all the things going on. Winning Rob is counting cards and excited about what's happening in life. And sure enough, I won that game of Catan, and it was a joyful time. Um, so we played two games. The second game, um, it was very clear within three or four turns that Rob was going to lose. Mm-hmm. So surprising, right? Um, well, losing Rob looks different than winning Rob, as it turns out. So we're talking about the same people, the same time, the same table, same group of games. Uh, but losing Rob is a little bit more slouched down. Um, as the Popo is going to test, losing Rob usually starts building like a tower with his pieces instead of actually using them. Um, I'm always down for a snack, uh, but somehow... Losing Rob always just ends up with his table just covered in crackers and pimento cheese and brownie crumbs. Um, not sure how that happens, but it just seems to be like the, the effect of knowing what the outcome of that game is going to be really, at least for me, determines how I play that game. Um, and so uh, when we're thinking about like our outlook on reality and when we're thinking about how we're viewing our lives and orienting ourselves in this world... Um, I just think it's, it's really important to understand the conscious or even unconscious ways that we might be living into a perceived reality that's with, which may or may not be true. Um, and that we often don't stop long enough to unpack uh, those various causes and motivations behind the patterns and actions in our lives. And so what we're going to be doing today is just, again, pulling up these two different worldviews, these two different ways that Paul is laying out reality in this verse. And uh, we're going to just be looking through what it looks like to live into them. So the first reality that I think Paul lays out is this reality or this perception, this worldview of darkness unto death. And when we're talking about darkness in this world, we don't really need to have much convincing to see uh, really what's right in front of us. Darkness is all around us generally in, in the sickness and disease. Um, it's in our news feeds in global conflict and ethnic strife. Darkness seems to own our criminal justice system, which just swallows people alive and meshing them in an endless maze of rules and regulations and infractions. And we feel the darkness in our own neighborhood. Um, we felt the darkness recently of the last few weeks as a young man was killed, and the potential of his life just seems to be wasted and spilled out on the ground. And so we see, and we see darkness even in our own hearts. If we look inside in a moment of grace and we see the anger or the lust or the greed or the contentiousness that can fill our hearts. So darkness is, is disorienting and paralyzing. When we find ourselves in darkness and the only thing that we can see is darkness, it can be really hard to even take another step forward. And our picture and our vision of the future can crack. And that's a difficult thing. And so even though we see from this verse, and Paul's going to lay out that the day is at hand, it can seem that the experiences of our lives and the everyday confrontation with darkness can lead to a worldview that is darkness deeper and deeper unto death. And I don't want to harp on this in the, you know, in the, I don't want to sound morose or depressing, but I just do important, I think it's important to just kind of name this as a way that these, that if we believe those things, if ultimately that's our understanding of the reality, that that can really affect our own actions. And so how, 
could it affect our actions? If our reality or what we believe about reality is that it's dark leading unto death, um, what would it look like if we ultimately believe those things? So let's go back to the verse, Romans 13, 13. He says, Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual morality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy. And so I think what Paul is doing is um, he's kind of naming two sort of general categories of sin. Uh, and I like to kind of just unpack that a little bit. And the first category, which I think that Paul is mentioning, is sort of um, what people could call carnal sins or sins of the flesh. And um, I think we can categorize these sins roughly as things that we're grasping after, which are just most immediate. They're closest to our touch. And I think that word that he uses, sensual, is an important word because it kind of says it's sensual is of and relating to the senses. And if you think about it, if you're sitting in darkness, the only thing that you have to orient yourself, the only thing that you have to kind of go on is the things that you can immediately touch and grasp and sit on and be around. And so when we're talking about the abuse of substances or the abuse of our bodies and sexual misconduct, a lot of that is just driven or can be driven from a heart motivation of like, I'm just going to grab the thing that's closest to me and hope it makes me happy. And we're often dealing with the inability to reach beyond our fingers or even a desire to shut ourselves off from the darkness of the world. And so I think that Paul includes this category because it it kind of shows that you've succumbed in a way to the night. And if you find yourself or you find some of your actions in line with this, um, I think that God's hope for you in today is that there are other realities that he's calling forth and giving you grace for in your life. And it's not going to be a magic bullet at the end of this sermon, but I do believe that there's grace for you in your particular area of life and in the particular darknesses that you experience. So please just like take a breath with me. That's the least fun part of the sermon. (laughs) And uh, just recognize that God is at work uh, generally, but also specifically in your life and in your um, areas of darkness. All right, so the second category um, that I believe that Paul is laying out here is in conflict. I think that's what he's naming when he says not in quarreling or jealousy, or if you're my dad, my dad would say quarreling, quarreling or jealousy. Um, There is a very famous 90s movie that you guys have probably all seen called Independence Day. It's like, yeah, bringing it back. So I I need a volunteer to read a quote from that that movie. And I need someone with like a good stage voice, someone who's going to be a little bit extra. Make this an enjoyable experience from everyone. Kenny, you got voted in. Kenny gets gets picked on a lot. I don't know. This is not going to be picked on. This is going to this is going to showcase uh, your theater skills. Oh wow! Yeah. So this is a quote um, from the movie Independence Day. The world has been like halfway destroyed by aliens. It's not looking good. And the president of the United States um, gets up and says the following words. I've never seen this movie. <laughs> We're going to go for it. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. But as the day when we, the world, declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. 
We will not vanish without a fight. We are going to live on. We are going to survive. Go ahead, Kenny. Oh, man, that's like one of those points in movies where you're kind of like popping off the couch. You're like, yes, go. Um, and, 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 you know, we stand and cheer in movies, and this is a, a super fun scene. Um, but if we look closely at this, um, at this quote, it actually carries some context of the worldview that Paul was describing when he talked about death and darkness leading unto death. And, I mean, for the people in this movie... I mean, I don't know. That worldview is probably pretty clear because it's like their world was just halfway destroyed by aliens. So, But um, when it comes to us, there's actually a real-life quote that's in here. And so if we can go to the next quote. This is actually part of the full context of that um, do not go gentle into the good night. So this was a poem um, that was written by a man named Dylan Thomas, and he wrote it for his dying father. Um, and there's a couple stanzas that are part of this poem, but this is one of the stanzas, and it goes, Do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. And he repeats that phrase, that stanza over and over again through that poem. And so what I want to, what I'm trying to kind of pull out and what I want to draw our eyes to is this, this explicit violence of that phrase, the violence of feeling like all things are darkness and that the only thing you can do is just beat wildly up against that wall over and over and over until it's all over. That attitude of like, I'm going to go down, but I'm going to take a few of you guys with me on the way. So, you know, lifeguards have to have a lot of training. You know, lifeguards have to have a lot of training because drowning people are very, very dangerous. And drowning people drowned people. And when someone is out beyond their depth, when someone's out in a way that they can't stand, that they can't see, and they're panicking, they hurt other people. And I feel like this is just a word, a word from from God to our community, to us, and, and through Paul, when he talks about conflict, when he talks about quarreling and jealousy, is that we have to stop and orient ourselves, that when we find ourselves in constant conflict with one another, it could be because our worldview is so dark and we just aren't trusting in the light of day that Christ is bringing. And when we're talking about conflict, I wanted to highlight two very particular areas, because I think this is where God really has... Um, the promise to show up and um, bring his power into our lives. And so the first one that I would like to, s- to speak on is just uh, interpersonal conflict and conflict with one another. Um, so we were recently traveling. Uh, we traveled, uh, or we took a plane to Atlanta, and we traveled in the Atlanta airport as a family of five on Thanksgiving, or the Thanksgiving Day, uh, which was... Uh, a very busy experience. It's the busiest airport, I think, in the United States, and one of the busiest travel weekends of the year. And so, like, it's crazy. It's chaos. There's people everywhere. Our bags are going here. We're going here. Our kids are trying to go there. Um, and like, in that moment, it's a excuse me. It's craziness all around. And it would be ludicrous, right, for me to pin all of that craziness on Liz or the kids. But what did I do in that moment? Like, to my shame, in that moment of feeling stressed and overwhelmed, like, I'm like, 
Like, there's something that Liz is doing in this moment that's causing all of this craziness in the way that I feel. And it sounds like completely illogical, but so often it's our go-to when there's chaos and there's mess around us is we're just like, this is your fault. <laughs> like, this has to be your fault because I can't personify anything around me. I'm just going to place it all on you. And so I think that we have to be very, very careful when we find ourselves in darkness, when we find ourselves in difficult situations, that we do not turn on one another, especially each other in the body of Christ. And I think that Doug really did a really good job of of sharing this in his last message about, like, be careful that you do not bite and devour one another lest you consume each other completely. Um, And so I think that God's encouragement for us today would be just recognizing that we do live in very dark times. We do have very hard things around us, but it doesn't mean we have to turn um, on one another and the people that we love. So, second area um, that I would see when we're talking about conflict and we're talking about um, how do we orient ourselves in the middle of that. And that would be in sort of um, our actions and our work in social justice. And so um, I, I really value East End's uh, just dedication to working in social justice and seeing um, the good of all people. There's something, you know, all the things that we do as a church that are corporate, like Nehemiah Action, uh, when we get to go as a church and stand together um, for things like uh, special education and we stand together for affordable housing or transportation, and um, those are super important. It's also really valuable when our church has propelled people forward into areas of public office. So when we've put people um, into school board or tried to get people elected to city council or the state council or different things like that. And um, just really trying to be active, to be um, just pushing our community forward. Um, And then I really am thankful for the lives that many of you live the lives of pushing into justice, of letting people live in your homes and give of your money and your time and your cars, um, and equal and just trying to bring um, this entire neighborhood up, and that's just really um, a beautiful uh, act of obedience that I believe our church has done very well. Um, and another thing that we've done, not necessarily corporately as a church, but probably as individuals, is participated in um, social justice marches or things like that. And that's something that I've had the privilege of doing over the last couple of years, participating in marches um, for Black Lives Matter or the Women's March on Washington. And those have been um, super monumental occasions, um, times where, uh, as a group, people are able to kind of represent uh, the disenfranchised or the poor or the beaten down and stand up for what is right and good and just. And I think those are things that are all godly. Um, And one of the things, though, that at least has been in my spirit when I've walked in those times is as good and as amazing as much of it is, there sometimes can be an undercurrent of anger and rage and frustration and darkness that's almost unsettling. And if if you're a Christian, sometimes walking in those times, as much as you support and are going for and standing in solidarity, um, there's a recognition that what we are basing our truth on as Christians is Jesus' return and Jesus' righteousness, and that we can't succumb to the anger and darkness and frustration and just rage, rage against the dying of the night. That's why that poem just stood so strong to me, because I feel it so strongly sometimes. It's just that feeling of rage that we just beat this harder, if we beat this person or this party or this area or this, you know, whatever we can put our finger on, if we just beat it down, then we would just have victory and it's just, it can be, it will just wear us out. And it can lead to exhaustion and depression. 
um, and just violence unto violence unto violence. And I think that what God is calling us to, not just as, as individuals, but also to as a community and as Christians, is to live in, in, a, in a way that points to Christ's righteousness and Christ as a king. And so that's where I'm going as we kind of attack the second half of this sermon Exploring what Paul's alternative is, what the reality that Paul is laying before us of Christ and Christ unto life. And so what's the reality that I believe that Paul is laying out here? Well, I'm going to reference Aaron. Thanks for the setup. We're going to go back to Isaiah. Um, Let's see. Do we have the Isaiah? Yes, great. Oh, actually... Sorry, got off my notes. Thank you. Let's go back to Romans 11. We'll get to Isaiah in just a second. So let's just go back over our verse and look for the kind of the clues that Paul is leading and leaving us uh, for us to follow. So besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on, what? The armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So the reality that I believe Paul is laying out for us here is the reality of daytime and coming morning, that of imminent salvation nearer to us now than it was yesterday. It's literally that salvation that's just one step at a time after one step at a time, nearer to us than it was yesterday. This is the Advent, the reality that we specially celebrate when we're here in December, that Christ has come to us, that he had lived and died for us, and that he secured our eternity and waits just on the other side of death, to welcome us into that eternity and reconcile the entire universe to himself once again. I believe that a story that Paul is referencing is the story in Matthew 25 of the wedding party and the bridegroom, of the bridegroom who was just taking forever, taking forever, seeming like never going to come, and and the wedding party is falling asleep, and they're finding themselves unprepared, and Jesus says, like, I am coming, I am coming, and the bridegroom comes, um, and those that were prepared get to share in that salvation. I believe that this is what Paul is referencing kind of indirectly, that It's telling us to wake up from sleep, recognizing that the day is at hand. We don't have to lose ourselves in fleshly pursuits or in rage against the current darkness. Instead, he gives us very specific actions that we can take, which is specifically turning, uh, putting on Christ in the armor of light. So we've done a lot of uh, speaking on the armor of God over this year. It's been a really, really, um, I think, rich series. we preached on it as an entire sermon series, and then we also did a kind of a one-off recently. So I'm not going to try to go over the entirety of the armor of God, um, but what I am going to try to pull out are two very specific areas that I think uh, God is calling us to as a community, um, and that's the area of Christ as King and Christ as our righteousness. So now we're going to go to the verse in Isaiah. This is a very, it's just a powerful Advent scripture. Isaiah 9, 
For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Listen to just the description of the kingship of Christ here. The government is going to be on his shoulders, and he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so this, a- this aspect of recognizing Christ as king is just really, it's really so much more than just good theology or seasonal advent, like advent cliches. Recognizing Jesus as Lord has to be the most foundational aspect of our lives, like our source of life and hope and peace. And it's going to be critical that if we're going to walk in this Christ unto light reality, that we not fall victim and we don't fall victim to sleepwalking or rage. And so this isn't maybe entirely 100% PC, but I'm just, as a, as a Christian, I'm not okay with just hoping that like the universe and the solar system eventually works its way out towards justice. Like it, it, we're, I'm, I'm beyond just lighting kind of candles, not necessarily Advent candles, but just lighting candles. <laughs> I'm good with those. <laughs> but... <laughs> Like my lighting candles and just, you know, sending our good hopes and our good thoughts towards things. That we don't need, like, a Coke commercial to give us, like, our sense of peace. That, like, in our consumer, like, istic, capitalistic, consumer-exploiting culture, like, it's not Hallmark or Walmart that's going to sell us peace and hope and make us feel good. Like, when there's people that are dying in our neighborhood, like, that isn't enough. It's not enough for me. Accepting Christ as king means we have to be waiting for Christ's kingdom to rise. Accepting Christ as king means we are waiting for him. We are waiting for Jesus. When we, when we list out these words of joy and hope and peace, these are things that are not abstracted into our culture. These are things that we see as foundational and sourced in Jesus as our king. When we accept Christ as king, it means that we are submitting our bodies and our actions to him. When we accept Christ as king, it means we act in obedience. But we act in obedience not in desperation or constant activity as if it's just our pure activity alone that's going to turn darkness into light. So finally, let's talk about Christ our righteousness. And uh, the band can come up as we do that. First Thessalonians 5.9 says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation from our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news, is that the righteousness of Christ covers us. Even in the darkness of our own hearts. No amount of self-flagellation will cleanse us aside from Christ's redeeming blood. His blood speaks a better word, a stronger word, a louder word than all the voicelessness of selfishness and sleepwalking and rage. We need Christ's righteousness in our neighborhoods and in our families. And if I'm just going to be 100% honest, like there's times where I've 
over the last week where I have wanted to be like king of my own kingdom and my own household of my own family and righteousness or God's kingdom didn't mean a lot to me. And when I was thinking about like what hope and peace would mean, it probably meant like the way that I feel when I'm in control or the ways that I feel when everything's going my way. And so what was the result of that? It was pretty predictable. A lot of conflict, a lot of quarreling, probably some self-medicating when it was all over. So what we need to be aiming for, like our goal in life for ourselves and each other and our families and our kids and our communities, it, it, it can't be devoid of Jesus. It has to be actually Jesus' righteousness that we're after in our lives. That it has to be act- the actual fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace rooted in the spirit's work in our lives. Things that make us look more like Jesus and turn us into his image. Like this is our target. And this has been like a really big kind of Revelation for me, honestly, when I'm thinking about my parenting. Because a lot of times as a parent, I'm thinking about, like, what does it look like to control my kids' behavior in a way that makes life, like, less stressful or they have good outcomes or they're learning? Like, all these, like, different things. But, like, I came to this realization a few weeks back, and if you've been in any sort of prayer meeting with me, I've been praying this verse a lot, is understanding, like, that what we're looking for in our kids and what we're looking for in each other is Christ's righteousness first and everything else second. So in James 3, this, this verse has been sitting on my, my heart for a while now. But it says, The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without variance and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace for those that make peace. This is the promises of God to us as a community, to us as people that are responsible for many things. For us that are acting in obedience, walking out in justice, working for the good of our neighborhood and for each other, the fruit of righteousness will be sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the peace of God that rests in our hearts, the peace of God given to us through the Holy Spirit, the peace of God that is obtained when we're standing and we're praying for one another, when we're on our knees and in relationship and in worship and in connection with our Father. That's what the peace of God is. So in closing, we're in recapping this message a little bit, I think what we were saying is Paul is presenting two different versions of reality. Two different ways of orienting ourselves to reality. One, the darkness unto death, which can lead to sleepwalking, numbness, and rage. The other, Christ unto life, which compels us to lay down our striving and accept Christ's righteousness, laying down our control at the deference of his kingship. So today, let us aim for righteousness. Let's put our bullseye and our target on righteousness. Let us not seek peace through self-indulgence or control of others, but as a means to see the character of Jesus created in ourselves and in others. In this Advent series, we recognize the reality of Christ's kingdom and his come. Amen.
too. Can you hear me? You ever had those times um, where you're wondering what's going on next, and you're like, oh, you're the person that's supposed to be doing that? Um, what I love about communion is the time uh, where, as often as we do communion, uh, it's a time to be reminded of how we live in a world of contradictions, a time of um, both darkness and death. And we also live in a time of light and life. And Jesus, when he was with his friends after being with them for three years, it came time for him to uh, die in order to give life. And what's really beautiful about this time of um, Advent and the birth of Christ is that uh, when Jesus was born, the uh, Magi, the folks we call the wise men, have uh, come and they give three gifts. They give gold to represent uh, the royalty of God. Give frankincense to kind of represent the divinity of God. But then myrrh was given to represent the death that this baby was going to give. This baby was going to be born to give his life, and that was going to give life to all of us. So, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, let us remember that this baby that we've been anticipating, this baby that will be, uh, will celebrate the birth on December 25th, was born in a time of contradiction with a lot of death. A lot of darkness, but this baby was born to bring light and to bring life out of death. And so on the night when Jesus was portrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body. And he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is such an Advent practice where we remember what happened in the past and we remember uh, what will happen one day when we will all be together with every person from every tribe, every tongue, every language from, from, from generations past to generations to come will come in a great feast. So in this, um, we can have the servers to come forward. We'll come on both sides, and um, those people who will be um, praying during this time of responses, the worship team goes forward. You can get in your places, and we have the altar here to pray. And let us remember Jesus' life and death and resurrection in this time.
tasted and seen of the goodness of God. It's so good, so good. Drink from the cup of the water of life. It's so good, so good. Everyone's welcome. We've all been invited to come. The table is ready. There's room here for everyone. And it's so good, so good, so good, so good. Yes, it's so good, so good, so good, so The heavens are open, our God will provide. It's so good, so good. The hungry and thirsty will be satisfied. It's so good, so good. Everyone's welcome, we've all been invited to come. There's room here for everyone And it's so good, so Thank you. 